Thank you, Carol. Choir. Can you see this label? It's product placement right here. This is, this is an official Covenant College bottle. Covenant College is the denominational college of the PCA, so I want to rep them. Uh, we went out there this week for my son's, one of my son's uh, first college visits. Um, anyway, it's good water. I don't know where it comes from. It's expensive water. So this morning... We're going to look at Acts 4, 1 through 22. Right? Acts chapter 4, 1 through 22. If you're visiting, we are taking uh, this time this year to uh, work our way through the book of Acts. Uh, and so we'll, we'll spend a good portion of this time in Acts. So Acts, 20, or Acts 4, 1 through 22. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the pew racks. And today's passage is found on page 911. And of course, as always, it's printed for you in the bulletin. Let me pray for us, and then we'll read God's word uh, together. Heavenly Father, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word remains forever because your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And your word works. It works. When the Spirit of God, when your Spirit goes before the reading and preaching of the Word and, and uh, opens our eyes and unstops our ears and gives us receptive hearts, uh, your Word never comes back void. Whatever you intend uh, to accomplish this morning, Lord, you will accomplish. And so do that good work uh, through me and through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, Acts 4, beginning in verse 1, this is God's holy Word. And as they were speaking to the people, this is Peter and John, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which the, the build, which rejected by you the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. 
But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. May God uh, write his word upon our hearts. So I recently learned just this past week that the, uh, the average three-year-old laughs 40, or a three-year-old laughs on average 40 times per day. And the average 40-year-old laughs three times per day. That, uh, that came out from, from a tweet by Psychology Today, the journal Psychology Today. Now, um, I'm not a psychologist, but it is today, and, and I'm pretty sure that reveals something, right? Doesn't that say something when a three-year-old laughs on average 40 times per day, but us 40-year-olds laugh on average three times per day? Friends, you heard it here first. I think we take ourselves too seriously. I think we take ourselves too seriously, and, and I don't think we laugh enough, and I, I don't believe that, that we embrace self-deprecation. You know, being a Christian is serious business. It really is. But I think sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. So my dad's company, uh, my dad works, he's worked for 25 years for a company in Oklahoma City called Clements Food, and they, uh, they put out this annual calendar for their clients, and they make it in-house, and, and, uh, and the executive staff, everyone from my father, who's a, who's a, a vice president, all the way to the president of the company, they, they dress up for different pictures each month and then publish this calendar. And this month, uh, March, my dad is the cat in the hat, and these are the two directors of the sales team, thing one and thing two, uh, and it's stuff like this every month. And on the back of the calendar, it says... It's obvious that we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take your business very seriously. And I love that, that we can do both, that, that we can understand the Christian message, a serious business, but also not take ourselves too seriously. If you were here on Ash Wednesday, uh, I think during the noon hour, wasn't it, Jason, when Caleb spoke? Caleb Long, who's a church planter up in North Tulsa at New City Fellowship, a new church plant, uh, when he was speaking, he, he mentioned the Emmanuel mantra. And it comes from Emmanuel Church, a church in Nashville. And, and their mantra, if you uh, walk into their building, it's on a big sign in their building, and all their staff, their business cards, which are becoming a thing of the past, who uses business cards anymore, but on the back of their staff business cards, that they have printed their mantra. And this is, this is the Emmanuel Church, this is their mantra. I'm a complete idiot, my future is incredibly bright, and anyone can get in on this, right? And it's this thing they recite week in and week out. I'm a complete idiot, but my future is incredibly bright, and anyone can get in on this. I love that. I love that. 
Because let's be honest, we aren't that bright. When you, when you look, I mean, how many of us would have the audacity to say, yeah, you know, I, I, I get it more than Peter and John. I, I get it more than those 12 apostles who even after the resurrection still didn't get it. We are essentially gifted idiots. Holy Spirit gifted, Holy Spirit empowered idiots. And can we acknowledge that? Or are we too prideful to acknowledge that. I mean, I mean, can we? Can, can we do both? Can we have fun, enjoy laughs, and also acknowledge that we've been entrusted with a message with which we have to be very clear? And, and the reason I say that, and the reason I lead up with that, is because I love verse 13. I love verse 13. The Jewish religious leaders, looking at Peter and John, perceived they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished. You know, when I first read that many years ago, I thought, Phew, maybe there is a place for me as a minister of the gospel. Um, let me put this a little differently. The, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish council, looked at Peter and John and thought, these guys are idiots. How is it that people are falling all over themselves to follow them? Why are thousands gathering and embracing this message? Th these guys have nothing to offer. They're, they're uneducated, common men. And the reason is because they had a compelling message. And they were clear that this message was for anyone. And then in the midst of obstacles, they stayed the course. So what I want you to know is, is if you embrace that, that I'm an idiot, that my future is incredibly bright, that that is your hope that your future is bright because of Christ. And so I want to give you three thoughts, and the first thought for us to consider is that we, like Peter and John, have been entrusted with a compelling message. That's what we have, a compelling message. Peter and John had the audacity to go around telling folks that Jesus is the Messiah and he has risen from the dead. They told folks that this Jesus, whom you rejected, who was rejected by his own people, this Jesus, he is the cornerstone. And there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than through Jesus. They had the audacity to go around telling folks that Jesus is the only way of salvation. That's a controversial message. It was controversial then, and it's controversial now. It's controversial, but it's also compelling. It's compelling, and it's our message. You see, people, and I'm just talking about humanity in general, uh, inherently know that things are not the way they ought to be. In fact, I've got, I've got a book. Um, who wrote it, Jason? He's the uh, philosophy up at Notre Dame uh, professor. Cornelius uh, something or another. Um, Plantiga, Alvin, Cornelius Plantiga. Yeah, not the way it ought to be. People inherently know that things are not the way it ought to be. You know, you don't have to watch the news very long, do you? To discover this world is a, it's a messed up place. That this world that we live in is, is a broken place. And, and people inherently know that they themselves are messed up. That they are not who they ought to be. I've got a buddy in Texas uh, who's an attorney, and he told me for, uh, for much of his life, uh, he had the view that people are basically good. 
until he started practicing law. Is that right, Randy? And, uh, and, then, and then his, his theology of human depravity became more robust as he became an attorney. He, he, he believed at one point that people basically want to do the right thing and want to follow the law, but then he started practicing law and realized that's just not the case. You know, even, even if we didn't have God's law, each of, us, each of us create our own categories of law. We can call them little l laws. E- each of us create categories and, and rules for what a good person should and shouldn't do. And the funny thing is, we can't even keep the laws that we establish for ourselves. We, like our first parents, pick up the proverbial fig leaves around us. And, and we try to cover our nakedness and shame. And so we recognize that, that this world we live in, is, is uh, things are not the way they ought to be. We recognize that we are not the people we ought to be. And so, and so we try to do something about it. And sometimes when, when this recognition comes upon a person, when they realize that, look, the world we live in is, is broken, it's hurting, it's groaning, and, and I'm, not, I'm not who I want to be. Let, let's forget God's law for a moment. I can't even keep the laws that I established for myself. So Kimbo and I, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. Um, Kimbo and I, uh, beginning on Ash Wednesday, and not so much because of the season of Lent, maybe there's something to that, but just because it gave us a time for a hard start, we decided to go on this diet, this fast, this cleanse, whatever you want to call it, and uh, we, we set attainable goals. Okay, First day, or from day one, we're going we're gonna to shoot for 10 days. And if we make it 10 days, we're going to go for 21. And if we go for 21, heck, we might go for the full 40. Might go for the whole whole season of Lent, and um, it's it's a it's a barbaric practice. It's fruit, vegetables, nuts, and whole grains and water, right? So I made it two days. <laughs> I made it two days, and 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 Kimbo now um, whatever that is, uh, how many days we're into this? Uh, she's only broken it once, and and. We can't even keep the laws that we establish for ourselves, the rules, the regulations, the practices that we establish. And we recognize that. And so we try to invent ways of righting the wrongs. Sometimes people get religion, right? When they realize that they are not who they ought to be, they, they get religion or they, or they adopt a religious system to fill the gap. And what I want you to understand is that every religion except Christianity is just more of the same. It's just more of the same. It's self-focused, self-help, self-centered ways of making the wrongs right. That's what religion is. Everything except Christianity is are, are ways for me to feel better about breaking the rules that I set for myself or breaking God's law. You know, it's why Buddha's dying words were strive without ceasing. His dying words were strive without ceasing. Jesus' dying words are, it is finished. The Christian faith, the Christian message turns all of that on, of it, on its head. It's, it's gospel-focused, not self-focused. It's spirit-empowered, not self-help. It's Christ-centered, not self-centered. The gospel says the exact opposite of what every other religious system says. Here's what the gospel starts with. No, you're not basically good. And you don't generally want to do the right thing. In fact, you're totally depraved. And you must put down the fig leaves and take up the cross. Your only hope is outside of yourself, so believe. Now listen, that, 
that message, that's the basic Christian message, it may not seem compelling at first. In fact, at first, it's a jagged pill to swallow because it says that you can't do anything about your condition, that it has to be done outside of you and you must believe. It doesn't seem compelling at first, but when you've tried over and over again and failed over and over again, and when the Spirit of God opens the eyes of your heart to see your sin, your, your, your wickedness, your, your breaking of God's law, and also to see the Savior, when you begin to see that, people come in droves. It, that's why you came to Jesus. It's why you came to Jesus. It's why I came to Jesus. Because we discovered that Jesus came for us. The reason, the, reason we, the reason we pursued him is because we recognized he pursued us. The Spirit drew us. Verse 4 says that many of those who heard the word believed. It's a compelling message, friends. Many heard the word believed, and the number came to be about 5,000. Now, if you've been with us for a few weeks, uh, this isn't an additional 5,000 to the 3,000 that were brought in uh, on Pentecost. It's 5,000 total now in this place. This is a compelling message. People are, are falling over themselves to get to Jesus. And listen, the message hasn't changed. We have a compelling message, the same one that Peter and John had. And so we must, we must make sure, we must make sure that what we are communicating, th those of you that are Christians, that what we are communicating with our mouths as well as with our lives we must make sure that what we are communicating is the same compelling apostolic message that we see here. Not a message of Jesus plus, but the same apostolic message because that is compelling when you've tried and failed. Here's a second thought. We, we have a compelling message and we need to be clear that this message is for anyone. You know, the, the Jewish religious leaders, the Sadducees, the elders, the scribes, this group of people who had gathered, they were not just offended by the message. They were certainly offended by the message. Peter and John saying, this Jesus whom you rejected has become the cornerstone, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than through Jesus. This Jesus that you killed, he rose. They were offended by the message, but they were actually astonished that this message works. That it works. And it works among the most unlikely. And so in order to understand today's passage, we have to understand uh, the passage that Jason preached last week. In order to understand this scene, which we kind of pick up mid-scene, we have to understand the scene from last week. And Jason preached from Acts 3, where a lame beggar was healed. We, we, we have references to that in our text today. A lame beggar was healed, a man who had been crippled since birth, and our final verse tells us that he's now over 40 years old. And this man had two things working against him, at least two things. First, he was crippled, and that made him a social outcast. As, as a crippled and firm man, he was a social outcast, and the religious folks were suspicious of him. They were suspicious. In, in John 9, there's this scene where uh, there's a man who's born blind, and, and Jesus' disciples ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And, and so the religious crowd often assumed that physical maladies were a result of sin. 
And so the first thing this man had working against him is, is that it was assumed that, that he was a wicked sinner or that he came from a family of wicked sinners. The religious people were suspicious of him because he had been crippled since birth. The second thing working against him is that he was a beggar. This, this may hit a bit close to home, and Jason made a reference to this similar last week, but people looked at this man the way that many of us look at the people panhandling on the corner at Harvard and uh, 44. People looked at this man the way that many of us look at those uh, in need with, with maybe contempt, certainly with little pity. When the rulers and the elders of Israel and the scribes asked in verse 7, by what power did you do this? They weren't asking out of genuine curiosity. I mean, they, they knew intellectually the answer. They were asking because they didn't believe that Jesus had that kind of power. And if he did have that kind of power, then surely he wouldn't use it for a man like this. How did you do this? You say it's by Jesus, but... But Jesus wouldn't heal a man like this. this. This formerly crippled beggar was a social and religious outcast, and yet he had faith in Jesus. He had faith in the one whom, whom Peter and John were saying is the only way of salvation. And so what does that tell us? It tells us that the message of Jesus... The message of salvation in Jesus and the message of healing from Jesus is for anyone. If it's for this man, it's for anyone. He's a social outcast on the margins of society. He's viewed with suspicion, and yet it was for him. And this message is for you, friends. You see, you're the lame beggar with nothing to offer. You're an anyone. Tim Keller says that none of us are ever so good that we are beyond the need for God's grace. And none of us are ever so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. This message is for you. And it's for me. And, and it's, it's for anyone that we may think is beyond the reach of God's grace. And so who, who's the person that comes to mind just right now in this moment, that you think is, is so wicked, so heinous, that the message of the gospel could never penetrate their hard heart. Does anyone come to mind? This message is for them. We've been entrusted with a compelling message, a counterintuitive message, a message of gospel hope, and it's for anyone. If it's for this man, it's for anyone. It's for you. Here's a third thought. We, we must have conviction to face opposition and obstacles. So we've been given a compelling message. We must believe and, uh, and, and, and believe with all our heart that this message is for anyone. If it's for us, it's for anyone. And we have, must have the conviction to face opposition and obstacles. P Peter and John were confronted they were essentially asked, what gives you the right to go around healing people? And I love what the text says. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to preach. He preached Jesus clearly without any buts. And, and it confused the religious crowd. I mean, it's confusing. That's why verse 13 stands out. These guys are idiots. 
They're uneducated men. They're, they're fishermen. And yet they're bold. No one can stop Jesus from doing what he came to do. But that hasn't stopped people from trying. I mean, and here, here's what we get from this passage. We, we can hear the inner workings. If this message gets out, it will wreck us. That's what the Jewish leaders were thinking. If this, if this message gets out, it will wreck us. It'll be the end of us. Because it's so gracious, it's so free, it's so outside of yourself. It's simple belief and faith in, in one who does for you what you cannot do for yourself. It's Jesus healing people that don't deserve healing. If this message gets out, it'll wreck us. If, if more people like this lame beggar get healed, we're done. And so what did they say? Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. This can't continue. But I love Peter and John's response, and because I'm preaching through Acts, I've read ahead in Acts, and this same phrase, you see it many times. A very, very similar phrase, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to him, you must judge. For we cannot speak but what we have seen and heard. You, you, see, you see a very similar phrase again and again and again. And as we're going to look at persecution next week, in the following week, and we're going to look at these confrontations and oppositions again and again. They're going to come from the, uh, the man who became the Apostle Paul, but Saul breathing murderous threats against the church in a handful of chapters. And the disciples say, hey, whether it's right to listen to you or God, we'll let you determine that, but we're going to speak about what we know. And when the Holy Spirit indwells you, and when the Holy Spirit empowers you, there comes a conviction and a boldness that's supernatural. It's the only way to describe it. It's supernatural. It, it takes conviction and boldness to be a witness. It takes conviction and boldness to be willing to be seen as an idiot who's been saved by grace. You know, we don't have to go looking for opposition. It will find us. Let me also make a distinction. We don't have to be brash. That is not boldness. On the, um, there's a, a PCA Elders Facebook page. And, and someone uh, on that Facebook page recently asked, do you think that within the next 20 years, religious persecution will grow to an extent in the U.S. that will no longer be able to worship freely? That was the question. I have no idea. I don't have a clue. I kind of think it's a silly question because only God knows the future. And I'm, all not, I'm not all that worried about the future because i got to tell you, I have a hard enough time in the present. I, I'm not all that concerned with what's going to happen 20 years down the road. I can't even figure out how to put my shoes on this morning. Maybe religious persecution will grow and grow and it'll be tough and impossible. Maybe we will revert back to what we see here in the book of Acts. I have no idea. I, I'm not so much worried about that. I'm worried about tomorrow. What if I don't have the words to speak to someone? What if I do speak to someone and I'm rejected? What if they don't believe? I mean, I mean I'm a pastor. I get paid for this, right? I get paid to, to set the hook and seal the deal. What if they don't believe? 
There's all sorts of obstacles, all sorts of opposition. We face internal doubt, and we need conviction and boldness. But what I want you to understand is, is conviction and boldness to, to, to convey this compelling message isn't something you can drum up. You can't drum it up. You know, imagine, imagine I've got a six-year-old daughter. Imagine if I walked with my daughter Cooper into a dark, abandoned house, and I said, it's okay, don't be scared. You know, I can tell her not to be scared till I'm blue in the face, but it's not going to make her any less scared. I can tell you, friends, to have conviction, to be bold. You've got a compelling message that's for anyone, and if it worked for a man like this, it will work on the most hardened heart. I can tell you to be bold, but that's not going to make you magically bold. So what we see in this passage is conviction and boldness that isn't internally drummed up. It's spirit-drenched. It's a work of the Spirit. The answer to the internal obstacles and the outside opposition is is conviction, but conviction in this passage is spirit-filled confidence. Spirit-filled confidence. Another way of saying we must have conviction is to say we must be filled with the Spirit and confident of His companionship. It's not our message. It's God's gospel message. It's a message that has changed us and been entrusted to us. And if it can change us, it can change anyone. If it can change us, it can change anyone. And, and so let's, let's just own that other church's mantra. I'm a complete idiot. Just like Peter and John here. They didn't have much in the bag. But my future is incredibly bright. And anyone can get on, in on this. And let's have fun. You know, <laughs> we have been given the privilege of taking God to people and people to God. That's fun. That's fun. It's hard work. It's serious business, but that's fun. And maybe take a page from my father. Let's, uh, let's not take ourselves too seriously, but let's take the gospel very seriously. Let's know that when we come to the table this morning that he gives us strength for the journey ahead and that common men, uneducated men, people who really have nothing else to offer except they've been captured by God's grace have been entrusted with this message and he gives us strength for the journey ahead. Let's pray towards that end. Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness. We thank you for the example of Peter and John and what we see uh, just in simply following your command and your lead, they were arrested, they were questioned, they were belittled, they were commanded to no longer speak, and yet they stayed the course. And it's not because all, they were all that great. As we, we heard from Jason last week, this is Peter who just days earlier had denied Jesus, uh, invoking invoking curses. This is Peter who uh, constantly put his foot in his mouth. This is Peter who shot first, then aimed later. And yet to him, you entrusted this message. And, and we're like Peter. We're like the lame beggar. We, we are the religious social outcast. We have nothing to offer, and yet you've offered us everything in Christ. 
And so as we come once again to feast on Christ, strengthen us, make us bold, give us conviction to speak of Christ, to live distinct lives for Christ, to live in such a way that others will uh, look at the, that our lives and say there is something distinct and unique about them. And they would see Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.